0: He's handsome and smart. A true blue Jets and Knights fan. A part of Australia's Hollywood royalty. From General Hospital to Occupation Rainfall. NCIS LA to All Saints. Newcastle Live Radio's very own Nova Castrian in Hollywood. It's time to cross to LA to catch up with Zach Garrod. And he joins me this morning from what is an L.A. institution. It is improv. He's at a comedy (laughs) event. Good morning, Zach Garrett. How are you?
1: Good evening, Tracy. I'm well, thank you. Yeah, I'm currently just on Melrose uh, Melrose Avenue at the front of the the famous improv down here. Our friend uh, Caroline just did her first ever comedy set, so we popped down to to have a squeeze. It was a good way to spend a Sunday afternoon, and my friend Chris from Newcastle uh, is currently visiting too, so he heads off to Indianapolis tonight, so we've had a... A really enjoyable kind of uh, cultural experience.
0: <laughs> and look, improv theatre in LA is—it's uh, just so popular. It's like New York. It's just if you want to go to uh, to comedy and you want to see you know grassroots, that's where you go.
1: Yeah, the, the comedy scene here is immense, and I mean, I just looked at the sign uh, on on the way out here, and then Jack White, Jack Whitehall is performing here tonight. Um, uh, Ron Funches was here. The uh, goodness gracious Adam Sandler, Chris yeah. Rock. You know, everybody pops down here. It's like a gym for some comedians, and for mm-hmm. others, it's a launching point. So it's mm-hmm. a really good place for people to come up and, and try new material and work their way into the industry. And it's also a way for professionals to refine their act mm-hmm. before they get on the road. Mm-hmm. So between the, the Coronet, which is the Largo, down on um, La Sandegar and Beverly, and of course the improv here, and then the comedy store up on Sunset, LA has a very, a really diverse comedy scene, it's one of those things where, it's not like live music or something like that where venues are so crucial, and like comedy can can occur anywhere, but the atmosphere and the environment where these places are, and uh, sorry, that these places create mm. and the people who perform there is just remarkable, so we've had a, a really, really good time, it's always really cheap, you know, tickets are like 15, yeah. 20 bucks and... If you're ever in town, legit go have a look at it because it's a great experience and it's so tight. Like they've got it together; they know exactly what they're doing.
0: I, uh, I've spent a couple of nights at the comedy uh, at the comedy store, and it is—it's just great. Like you never know who's going to turn up on the bill. That's the best part of it.
1: Yeah, totally, because other comedians come and watch. Mm. So then, you know, you might have Jerry Seinfeld waiting in the wings or you might have, you know, Amy Schumer waiting in the wings or Wanda Sykes or someone like that, and they pop up and they they give, like, a a 10-, 15-minute set. Robin Williams famously did it in Mm. Sydney when he was, God rest his soul, when he was touring his show in Sydney. He popped up at at the comedy gigs, uh, the comedy store down there in, uh, in the Fox Studios district in Moore Park. He popped up just to tell a few jokes and warm up. So, you know, that's the thing about it. It's so alive and it's so spontaneous and so electric that anyone could just pop up at any time. But it's wonderful seeing comedians refine their acts. And there were some great comedians today, too, who sort of adjust to the atmosphere in the room. They had a very tight, refined act. And then they start to sense, you know, what the atmosphere is like and they can go with that. And that's when things really do come alive. And it's a great experience. It yeah. really, really is a great experience.
0: It's so clever how they do that. I've just, yeah, I've got no idea. Now, my friend, we have a new PM over here, and it has been grabbing the attention of, uh, of the media over in the US. What's the general vibe at the moment?
1: No, so it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, there's been a tectonic shift in Australian politics from everything that I've been watching very closely. You know, I was up at three o'clock in the morning watching <laughs> it on Saturday morning because uh, I, I saw my brother's message. He's like, you should check this out. And I can't believe what we've witnessed. Mm. It's extraordinary. But, um, but it's, the, it's, what, it's the platform that, Anthony Albanese's government, well, mostly was voted on, but of course the 11 independents that we've seen have taken blue ribbon seats, and of course the green candidates too that have taken seats from the ALP in Brisbane. So over here, the big story around the Australian election is of course the repudiation of the Murdoch press, which had a huge as we always know, try to leverage as much as they can during elections. So just the rejection of that is being well publicized here. But also the climate change agenda and how these extremely wealthy seats like McKellar and Wentworth and Kuyong that were, you know, home to some of Australia's wealthiest people where the biggest concern is climate change. In the United States, I think you're probably well aware, there's a lot of wealthy people here who are, you know, we should believe we should do things about climate change. There are also quite a few who don't believe it and don't <laughs> think anything like that at all. So this is kind of like, it's become uh, an almost a, a little bit of a beacon of hope for a lot of people here to see someone like Anthony Albanese, whose story is of course quite inspiring itself, you know, being raised by a single mother, becoming the prime minister of the country. But um, over here, it, it's being, the, the prism they're looking at it through is just how emphatic this victory was. Mm-hmm for corruption in government and also for the climate change agenda. And there's been articles in the New York Times, there's been articles in the Atlantic, NBCLA, Mm -hmm. NBC4 Los Angeles, had a huge story about Anthony Albanese today on their their Twitter page and, of course, on their Mm -hmm. website. I'm reading yeah, it, it uh, I'm reading it at
0: the moment, and uh, it is an extraordinary you know, when you think that that is uh, that is NBC in LA, and the story is just you know Australia's next <laughs> prime Minister came from humble beginnings. What a story for yeah. them. It's got Hollywood written all it's over great.
1: it. It does, and they get deep into it. They talk about his history as, a, you know, as, a, a single, as an only child with a single mother, how he never met his father, goes deep into his politics, goes deep into the history of it. It's the kind of story that you would read in Australia, usually from a presidential candidate. So to see this kind of impact here, for me personally, is incredibly remarkable. And for the Australian community here, I think a lot of people, of course... Have a lot of fundamental objections to what uh, the Morrison government did and what they should say what they didn't stand for, and also with what they didn't do, myself included. Mm. So a lot of the Australian expats here who were who were invested in this are are quite quite shocked with everything that has occurred, and then of course the Americans running with it and and sort of trying to decipher it and understand it. Beyond our electoral system, which I think is also far superior to the US mm-hmm. system, <laughs> as well. I don't mean to be parochial, but no, I, I think you, do you're it is. allowed to. Um,
0: <laughs> hey, we actually had someone give a concession speech on the night of the election.
1: Isn't that a You know, that's, no that's, that's just bizarre. Went, oh. No, it was rigged. It yeah, was rigged. Nobody got up there and went, "No, mm-hmm. we, we won this. We won mm-hmm. this." Frankly, we did win this election. No, that didn't happen. No, no. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the United States is seeing this as quite a as quite a stirring and emphatic victory for science for common sense and also for community and for the future of the world as we begin to enter in this new age where we have to deal with climate change so it's it's quite extraordinary
0: are any of them spotting the fact that uh it does appear to be that that the two-party system is is on its way out is anyone spotting that at all because obviously as we said you know the the teals and the independents you know with 15 seats that's an enormous enormous kick in the butt to the two the two major parties no matter which way you, you look at it we've still got 12 seats undecided so that 15 could even raise. Is anyone over there spotting the fact that potentially no longer is Australia a two-party system?
1: Well, this is one of the biggest issues that that I think um, discourage people from US politics is, of course, the two-party system where people seem to jump and change colours all the time. There's a guy currently running for LA Mayor, Rick Caruso, who's a very wealthy property developer, right? And he was a Republican candidate, didn't get anywhere and jumped over to be a Democratic candidate So now he's running for for L.A. mayor. This is the problem now. And this is what I think discourages uh, people from being involved in American politics. They feel as though it's one or the other. You know, it's so binary. And then, of course, they just have a first-past-the-post system Mm. despite the archaic electoral college, which is, of course, just absurd. Um, We have, with our preferential voting system, a true representation of democracy whereby, okay, no one got past 50 percent so who got the most second choices who got the most third choices and so on so then every vote is every vote literally counts in australia every single vote matters it's not just someone ticking a box and dropping it in and that for my american friends as i try to explain it to them becomes quite appealing and it's quite a uh, quite a revelation to them as well so they do see that people can have opinions that might differ from the mainstream parties, but they have things they really do believe in and they can find a voice and an outlet in Australia. So it's, um, it really is quite remarkable. And I think for the Americans, it, like a system like this would spin them out. <laughs> really, it really, really would, wouldn't
0: it? Um, <laughs> They'd have no idea yeah. how to deal with it. But it, it once again, no, it, it no, shows no, no. the beauty of the Westminster system.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, mm. when, when, when it's presented to the people mm. like this, it didn't matter how much money that you had nope. to throw at it. I mean, there's some candidates... That the, what the Greens candidate looks like they're going to win Griffith. Mm. Um, my, my very dear friend of mine works for Terry Butler. So, you know, his candidate didn't win, and Terry Butler was the was the incumbent. He got in, the Greens candidate looks like they're going to get in on local issues, all to do with, to do with aircraft noise mm. and, of course, climate change and, and the broader agenda mm. that people are, are concerned about. But that, that's the kind of stuff that kind mm. of circumvents the, the big, broad political conversations. Mm. And, of course, that doesn't really happen here in the U.S. Stacey Abrams and others do a great job of talking about it on a local level in Georgia and Louisiana and Mississippi. And, of course, a lot of the female candidates now, Alexandria Casio-Cortez and others, are, of course, running, talking about abortion. But local, local issues are what people care about with their representatives. And that's where, in Australia, we do feel like we have a local voice that deals with national and international issues.
0: It's uh, it's wonderful. It really is. It's one of the greatest things about being Australian is is our uh, our justice system. There is, there's no doubt about that. Now listen, you have had a very big uh, yeah, uh, over at uh, over at Khan at the moment. You've had uh, the director of rainfall over there. You've had Luke Spark over there. Now tell us some of the people who are going to be in uh, Occupation Two and Three. Wow, there's some megastars there, without a doubt, Zach. We've done-
1: yeah, we've, we've been very fortunate. We've, we've been talking to people for quite some time, trying to line people up, and getting cast attached is always a juggling act. And if anybody wants to understand what it's like, they should watch the, the TV series, The Offer, on Paramount+, Plus, which is about the making of The Godfather. It goes into it very deeply. So it's a very good explanation of, of the, the, the pain and also the success that it can bring. But yeah, um, Jeremy Piven has been announced. Uh, Danny Trejo has been announced. Um, Gasser Van Dien is coming in to do it as well which is great my mate Liam McIntyre is coming to do it and uh, Tricia Helfer is coming to do it as well so we've got this quite eclectic mix Mm. of actors from across the spectrum coming in to do the project we have two others as well who will be announced pretty soon but they're in final negotiations with them for probably the next week or so Um, so it it is is a really exciting Mm. announcement and there's another project called Scurry which I'm I'm involved in um, where Barry Pepper will be starring in that so it has been a really busy Cannes Film Festival, mm. which is also about, not just about movie screening and, of course, being bought and premiering, but also about projects being announced. And we were pretty heavily involved in the market trade, so it's mm. very good. We're it, very, very It happy. really
0: is. And, uh, and for those people who don't realise, Jeremy Piven is, of course, entourage. And when I saw the photo, I'm like, oh, yes, go, guys, go. And, uh, yeah. and also yeah. Trisha Helfer from Battlestar Galactica.
1: Yeah, great, yeah. Great she's, she's quite, yeah, she's quite a big star, yeah, so we're very, very happy with that, and Jeremy actually performs at the Improv quite a bit, <laughs> so we're sort of at, at, at his home territory right now.
0: Oh, I love it, I love it. Now, listen, Jenny Thomas, she's been at it again, what's happened this time?
1: So, just to recap, this is something you and I have been talking mm. about over the last few weeks, Ginny Thomas is the wife of Clarence Thomas, who is uh, one of the justices of the Supreme Court, now... Clarence Thomas is probably one of the oldest sitting members and one of the most conservative and one of the most critical voices uh, with regards to the leak, the leak decision about repealing Roe versus Wade. So he was the one who came out and said, oh, the sanctity of the court has been breached. It's so, like, what about the sanctity of women's bodies? How about that? How about that mate? <laughs> let's, yeah. just, let's just curb that for a second, mate. So his wife is Ginny Thomas, who believed, and I'm, I'm saying this without hyperbole, believed that the election, uh, the, the election of Joe Biden was wrong. She genuinely believes that he was not legitimately elected to the United States. This is a wife of a justice of the Supreme Court. She was contacting Mick Mulvaney and others within the White House, telling them to hold fast until they could help mobilise the military. Not, No word of a lie. There's, The, the text messages are on record from the James Six Commission. This week, more emails came out um, from her trying to contact the electors in Arizona and telling them to uh, stop the count and to overturn the decision that has so far been found. So again, intervening into the electoral process, a wife of the justice of the Supreme Court, for God's sakes, the highest legal authority in the land, is trying to interject into a democratically run election. I mean, there is nothing like this. Ever. There is, this is completely unprecedented. And, of course, it is a huge violation of the process. It is a huge violation of the sanctity of the process. And how can you have any faith in the legal system when the wife of the Justice Supreme Court is trying to overturn an election? Mm. It's just bizarre. It, it is, it's truly in that sort of bewildering territory um, that no, no one really knows how to deal with this. Like, what do you do? How can you, how can you have any faith in the systems when you're seeing these type of things come out?
0: You just can't. You, you absolutely cannot. I just... Uh, yeah. I, it beggars belief. It really does. And the fact that people need to be shouting and screaming about this, it's just wrong. It is so wrong. And this man sits in the highest court.
1: Yeah, it, it's really, really strange. And I doubt anything's going to happen. not. I think not. the is trying to summon her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really, really don't know. But when you've got people working within the inner sanctum of the most powerful institutions within one of the most powerful countries in the world, probably the most powerful country in the world, and trying to overturn the democratic process of this country it's just it's just staggering and again bringing it back to the australian election mm-hmm. that we were talking about this is where the aec is so wonderful it's an independent body run by public servants and people who dedicate their lives to ensuring the sanctity of australian elections and then here we are over here with a wife of the chief justice one of the justices of the supreme court trying to overturn the results i mean it's just it's crazy. It
0: is just crazy. It wouldn't survive in any other country except the U.S. Now, just finally, there's yeah. one that's really starting to concern me, and you and I have been speaking during the COVID situation about some of the refugees, you know, some of the homeless people in in Los Angeles, and how it's really starting to be seen in a big way, and you know, people sleeping under freeways. That's getting bigger and bigger, and people people in Beverly Hills, which has never been seen before. But you've got a really, really bad issue happening uh, at the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, which was obviously mm. so, so heavily impacted by the fires over there. We've got people buying cars as their homes. Yeah. What's happening?
1: This is the first example of what some people are calling um, climate refugees, so people whose homes have been decimated and whose lives have been completely wrecked by climate change and also to the point where the place they lived is no longer inhabitable. Now, we're sort of seeing it with some coastal erosion in places, but this is on the back of the campfire, Last year, not, mm. not like a little campfire kumbaya marshmallows. No, this was just called the campfire. Mm. Um, and it was started by PG&E, actually. It was started by a faulty uh, hook on a, um, on a power line that descended and sparked the grass. And, of course, California is extremely dry. And it took off and just burned through hundreds of thousands of hectares. I think 200 people were killed in this fire. It was very sad. Um, and one of, these, one of these people that you're talking about is a, is a young woman who has given her insurance payout And it was only enough to buy a 2017 Nissan Versa Mm -hmm. that she now lives in. That is her home because the insurance company and also PG&E are not covering any damage made to her house. Now, what they're saying is these fires would not have got as as, as close to her place and destroyed her place had the climate not been as volatile as what it was. So they know that California was well below average um, rainfall when it came to the drought, well below average with dryness, well below average with everything, and of course exacerbated, as we know, by climate change. So this this poor woman and others have lost their homes and will not be able to rebuild where they live. So they're literally climate refugees. They they lose their job, they lose everything that they have there because they can't live in that area anymore. So this is a very interesting conversation and one that I think as Australians, Australians should really heed as we move ahead. We're already seeing with Lismore, you know, we've got thousands of people in and around Lismore, hundreds of people who still can't live in their homes, who have lost their livelihood, who have lost the schools they send their kids to. Now that, and if you've got to move somewhere else, then theoretically you're moving on like any refugee would because you cannot live in that area anymore, so the that the broad term is their climate refugees, they're people whose lifestyles have been completely decimated or deeply affected by climate change. So California has been seeing it for some time, and it's quite a um it's quite a staggering thing to witness.
0: It really is confronting, isn't it, and especially as you it say, is. you know the insurance money paid for her to get a new car to uh, you know uh, uh, what you say it was a two thousand and seven yeah. like
1: seriously, two thousand and seventeen.
0: what yeah. is what is wrong with what is wrong with this uh with this world, that, that that is happening. And, you know, there's people in Lismore who can't get insurance because they can't build where they were. You know, it, it's just, if you don't believe in climate change and you don't believe that the, that we need to have a look at our insurance system and how we protect these people from environmental issues, then uh, we've got some big problems. And, and we do know that we've got some yep. big problems.
1: Exactly. And it goes back to what we are talking about at the start mm-hmm. of, of our conversation about how the Americans now looking at this election that just occurred and the, the agenda and the issues that was run on and going, wow, hmm. that's emphatic. So um, that's mostly, or well, partly why the Australian election is drawing so much attention over here.
0: It's great to see. Look, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Go back and have a bit more of a laugh and, uh, and enjoy, uh, enjoy your comedy for your Sunday.
1: Thank you so much. We will indeed, Tracey. It's been a really lovely time. So, yeah, we'll chat to you next week. It's Memorial Day next weekend. It is, that's I'm right. Going to have a public holiday.
0: Yay, yeah. yay, <laughs> good stuff. You stay safe and we'll chat next week.
1: Back to you then, Trace. Thanks, mate. You, mate. Bye.
0: That is Zach Garrett joining us live from L.A. Coming up next, we talk the musical Chicago that's coming to the Civic Playhouse... <laughs> Newcastle in the Morning covers the big stories that matter the most to you. The local issues often neglected. Tracy Mack's plain talking, no nonsense approach will get your morning off right. Talking news, sport, entertainment, music, lifestyle, and more. Joined by Michael Blaxland and covering what you need to know and even some of the stuff you didn't. It's Tracy Mack with Newcastle in the Morning. Weekdays from 9 to midday, only on Newcastle Live.